0: Hi, and welcome to NARC, Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Collaborators. I'd like to welcome you today and tell you that if you enjoy this podcast, please follow my website at www.narctroopers.com, dot scom where you will find many more podcasts, articles, a video blog, and merchandise. Today we're going to talk about in sickness and health, that commitment that we make to take care of our partner, a vow, a promise, but not if your partner has a cluster B personality disorder, not if they're a narcissist, sociopath, or psychopath. They will not take care of you ever in sickness or injury or illness or any of that. So we're going to talk about that today a little bit. Narcissists and other cluster B disordered individuals like the ones I just mentioned are both disgusted and repulsed by weakness, which serves as an impetus to maintain their superiority and strength. It's these emotions that make them ruthless and um, without remorse, which are like the characteristic qualities of um, these types of individuals. So there's 10 primary reasons that they cannot take care of you and will not take care of you. So number one, the first is their lack of something called object constancy. Uh, a person with personality disorders in um, the people like this, this lack of object constancy is a huge predictor of future demonization, vilification, and discard. It's a sign that something horrible is going to happen in the future, that it's going to have a bad ending, uh, and it's a sign that they are a personality disordered individual. So the lack of object constancy is number one. And I think to briefly explain that, and you should check into that and do a little reading and research on that idea. But object constancy uh, has to do with if you upset them or anger them in some way, they can't hold on to the idea that they still love you, care about you, have... um, Fidelity towards you and com- commitment, none of those kinds of things. If, if you do something and they're angry or frustrated or disappointment, suddenly they just paint you black and you become all evil, all bad. You're the enemy. You're uh, They demonize you. Um, whereas a normal person would say, wow, this is my partner. I love them. They're my life partner. I'm going to stay with them forever because we are... Um, we have taken those vows and made those promises to one another, but I'm really angry with them right now. I'm really frustrated. I'm really disappointed. I'm feeling this because of what they did. I still love them. They're still the same person that I care about, but I'm feeling these other negative feelings. They can't do that. The, the person with a personality disorder can't separate those things and feel them all at once. You're either painted white or you're painted black. Number two. Why they cannot take care of you is that weakness in other people makes them think about their own weakness that they have in themselves. They don't want to be reminded of that. They don't want to be around it for that reason. It reminds them of their own weakness. Number three, they are incapable of compassion or emotional empathy. There's different types of empathy. This is also worthy of a whole podcast in itself to talk about different types of empathy. But narcissists, sociopaths, and psychopaths are missing emotional empathy. They can feign it and fake it and appear to have concern and compassion and, and all of that, but it's not real. They're not really feeling it. And um, it's kind of like if you see uh, some child being mistreated or harmed in some way, it hurts you to see them suffer. It actually causes you distress and pain and you're feeling that and you feel compelled to go stop it or say something or do something about it because it's just terrible. Uh, They don't feel that, that empathy, that emotional connection to another person's pain or suffering. Um, I know when my ex was in the process of um, discarding me suddenly, uh, he he said, just forget about us. You know, you can be single like I am now uh, and go out there and just uh, meet people and have a good time. And I don't understand why you have to suffer and linger and have all this pain and grief and whatever this is. We've only been married 15 years and I know you counted on me to be here till the very end, but that didn't work out and I'm, I'm gone. I'm going, I'm gone. And so just snap out of it. Just go out there and have a good time. He really did not understand why any normal, like regular person couldn't possibly do that. He just, just it was incomprehensible. He he was incapable of having the empathy for my pain and suffering, for my grief and horror at what had just happened. He, he couldn't experience any of that to him. It was like flat line, like he was dead, like there was no feeling. There was a complete absence of emotional feeling or empathy for anyone else. He couldn't understand why I couldn't just say, oh, okay, well, um, all right, I'll just shift and pivot and go over here and, and start dating. Tomorrow, uh, hook up with somebody, do do what you're doing. I'll just go have a good time and uh, it'll everything will be great. Uh, you know, this will be fine. Who could do that under the circumstances, right? So they're incapable of any kind of compassion or emotional empathy. They just don't feel it. They don't know what it is. They don't understand why you get all upset. That's why a psychopath can go murder someone and not understand what the big deal is. You know, I just killed someone and chopped them up into tiny pieces. Um, But, hey, you know, I can tell a really good joke or I'm a really good dancer or this is a really good meal. Or, hey, let's uh, go go to Disney World (laughs) and spend the day Uh, because they're not uh, they just don't get it. They're the the um, consequential feelings that come that follow something horrific aren't there. Uh, for them or for their victim. Um, Number four, the fourth reason why they cannot take care of you. They are survivalist at all costs and your weakness could compromise their strength. Now I've thought about this one. My ex is in California. He left Austin, Texas and fled to California shortly after he discarded me. And, um, and and then the pandemic came shortly after, which gave him a really great excuse to fail at his endeavors that were not happening for him. They were not happening. But now he has an excuse to justify it and say, oh, well, if it weren't for the pandemic, I would be famous and wealthy and very successful by now. No, no, he wouldn't. But uh, that's irrelevant. Moot point. What I am trying to say is I've thought about him during this pandemic and I thought about him during other emotional moments where there was like crisis or something really scary or difficult or hard um, that was threatening. And he functions with a complete absence of fear, a complete I've got this I'm in control and a complete ruthlessness to do whatever it takes to, to survive. Rob, steal, um, just bend whatever rule or law needs to be bent or broken? Yeah, why not? Because it's all about survival. Uh, We had a water moccasin cottonmouth in our garage, and I remember he got a rake and lifted it up and put it in his duffel bag that he carried to the gym. And the way he was handling it, of course, I was standing in the background screeching and screaming, and he said, you need to be quiet because you're scaring it. He never flinched. He never blinked. He never showed a, a moment of, of any any human response that you would have if you're handling a, like a six, eight foot long, ginormous, poisonous snake. Who And by the way, they're really fast, those snakes. But, you know, he put it in the back seat of the car, said, get in. We're going to drive it and set it free in a field. He really had a thing and loved snakes. I get that now. I did not get that then. But this whole survivalist thing, it's so easy for them because they don't have fear. They're reckless anyway and impulsive and are willing to do anything. Just think about what about the whole surviving concept and how much easier that would be if you had no morals, no concept of right and wrong. And you could just do anything to anyone at any time to survive and not ever feel guilty or remorse or anything. You could just do whatever it takes. You're going to be the one still standing when everybody else falls down. If everybody else gets sick and dies, you're going to be the one still standing. And so I don't ever think about like, whoa, there's a pandemic. He's in California. There's a lot of stuff going on. He's going to be fine because he's a survivalist. And whoever, whatever group of, of um, people he has around him in his harem They're going to feel very protected by him because he's going to go through all those gestures and do all those things to make everyone feel safe and protected because he's really good at that. Just not for the reasons that they think he is. Number five, why they will not take care of you. They have a sense of entitlement. And this prevents them from making sacrifices for, for others. Like what's in it for me? I don't feel like doing this. I don't want to take care of you. I don't want to make sacrifices. I don't want to have to slow down and make accommodations to keep you around. I don't want to be inconvenienced. Why me? Why do I have to do it? My husband actually said these things to me. Um, He had been a reasonable caretaker through numerous illnesses, through our really long marriage. But towards the end, when he decided he'd had enough of that role and he was ready to move along, he actually said, I don't want to take care of you. Um, what about me? I want to just take care of me. And uh, that, that is really a thing. They think that they are special and that they are above having to do the dirty work of being there for people who are in an icky, weakened, sick situation situation. Um, I think one of the main reasons that he left me is because of my vision problems and the possibility I could lose my vision, be blind or something or almost blind. And he just kind of probably thought about that for a second and thought, oh, hell no, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Uh, no way, Jose. So uh, number six, number six reason why the the person that is the narcissist, sociopath, or psychopath will not be there in sickness and in health is because, number six, it's all about the fuel. If your fuel pump is running low or on empty, they're going to find a new source of supply. They're not going to stick around. You're sick. You're broken. You're injured. You can't provide the stuff they need they need constant attention adoration um all of this love and stuff come oozing and flowing their way and if it has to come the other direction and they have to be taking care of you in a compromised position um that whole fuel dynamic is not happening as it needs to happen for them and that's more important than anything to them not by choice but by necessity they know that they're they're um they're going to cease to exist without the fuel that they are um trying to always get from people. I understand that now. I I I observed many times uh my husband trying to solicit fuel from people and how he would just eat it up when they would compliment him or his art or his looks or his whatever he's got that's better than everyone else's of course and how that just it was like little pac-man super pellets you know when they go bloop bloop and get the super little fruity pellets it was that's what it was for him it was like super uh charged power for him and he had to have it so uh your your illness and stuff it just doesn't fit into that equation Number seven, this is a good one. The number seven reason they're not going to take care of you is because they don't know what love is. They don't know what love is. And love is sometimes messy. Sometimes it's unpleasant. Sometimes it requires you to do something hard that you don't want to do. But you have to do it for that person you love because it's best for them. He doesn't get any of that. doesn't know what it is doesn't know what it feels like to be loved, doesn't know what it feels like to be in love. Love to them is more like idealization and infatuation. They put their new source of supply and fuel on a pedestal, probably even even convincing themselves, well, this time this person is not going to be a disappointment like the last one. This one is going to make me feel awesome every day of my life forever and ever and it's going to be all shiny glowy and i just love this person so much what they're loving is the way that that person adores them what they're loving is not that individual they don't love that person they don't know what it is they love the way the per, the way that person makes them feel the way that person supplies their fuel and so All of that makes them feel very attached to that person and very appreciative of that person and very much kind of like love. But if that person just shut all that stuff down and said, Hey, I think you've got some serious problems that need some attention and Hey, I don't like that you do this, that or the other. And they, and they stopped that blind adoration and, Oh, you're so awesome. And all of that, if they just cut that, then and that would be it. The love would the bubble would burst, and that would be that. So they don't know what love is. They don't know what it is. How can they do it if they don't know what it is? They can't show it, not the real thing. They can only do the pretend version or the ideal, idealized infatuation version, the kind that you have like in fifth grade, you know, fourth grade, sixth grade, that kind of love. They make me feel so yummy inside, that kind of thing, but it's not, it's not really love. Number eight, we ready for number eight. The eighth reason that the narcissist, sociopath, psychopath cannot take care of you when you're sick is because no one ever taught them how to take care of other people. And the reason is because no one ever took care of them. Yeah. Yeah. How do they know how to do it if no one modeled that for them, if no one showed that for them? And I know that my person was uh, abused and neglected and had some very perverse and disturbing uh, tragic trauma happened to him, not just once or twice, but as a pattern through his childhood and uh, it made him what he is today. Yep. All that's there. So, No one ever taught him how to do that. You know what they did teach him is how to clean house really well and how to give foot massages, you know? Uh, I think think he did learn how to do that, and he equated that with I'm being a good person. I'm being a good husband slash son slash whatever, you know. I'm being that good person. I'm being a good boy. I'm being a good man because I clean the house really well. Aren't you pleased with how well I swept and mocked? And clean the kitchen. Aren't you pleased uh, that I did this, that, and the other? And it's just so sad to think that that's the only way he knows how to please other human beings because he doesn't have real feelings and he doesn't get any of that. He's like a zombie inside. He's all dead and empty, but he'll he'll clean house and give these foot massages all the time offering, can I rub your feet? Because that's something he had to do as a child. He had to do that to not be abused. And so as a result, that's what he thinks he still has to do to get approval and to stay safe and to make people care about him. It's really, really screwed up. And it's really, really sad. But nobody ever taught them how to take care of others, except in some really weird, messed up kind of ways. Number nine why they can't take care of you is that you can't give them a hundred percent of attention when you're sick and they need that attention. And then number 10, number 10, they can't take care of you if something happens to you because they are selfish and they're always going to act in their own self-interest unless there is something to gain from acting. Otherwise you keep hearing that a lot when you read about these people if there's something in it for them, they will fake it. And oh my gosh, they are the consummate actor. You know, they can they can make you believe pretty much anything. It's almost supernatural. It's like supernatural powers that these people possess. They're so intoxicating, charming, take you to places you never imagined. The highs of the high. It, it's just like, oh my gosh, this person is amazing. I can't live without them, that kind of thing. So yeah, they can fake all kinds of things and, um, and do these things to make you want them, to make you chase them, to make you, um, adore them, worship them, to make you have all those feelings because they feed off of that. That's how they stay strong. So, um, to make the partners of a dependent person, um, to make To make the partner feel dependent on on these people um, and to cause them to be unable to disengage and become a lifetime source of fuel, the narcissist either knowingly or impulsively for survival purposes, embeds a series of hooks or what we call imprints into their victims or targets, if you prefer targets instead of victim. Um, to keep them attached forever imprinting hooks, words you need to know, like what they do. And, and please think about what I just said. It could be something they consciously do, but it's also just as likely depending on what type of narcissist you're dealing with, that they are not even aware that they're doing that. It's just part of like their survival, um, instincts. It's intuitive. They just seem to know that they need to do this. And so they just do, but they don't even know what they're doing or why they're doing it. They're just compelled to do it depending on what kind of narcissist they are. So the result from this whole hooking and imprinting that they do either consciously or subconsciously, the result is what we call learned helplessness. And this only means that you blur the boundaries, um, healthy boundaries, and become a sacrificial lump of goo with no identity outside of this relationship. You become hypervigilant, uh, narcissist focused, and self sacrificing to keep your narc baby satisfied. If your attention is distracted by your own personal needs during a health crisis or something, they're not going to get fed and that becomes a problem in a hurry. The narcissist is going to expect you to focus always to on like their your focus to be on their needs. They often commit such atrocities in the relationship that it becomes increasingly difficult to show them this blind devotion. I know that happened with me. Time and again he would do things that were inappropriate, that were hurtful, that were a betrayal, that were abusive. By any definition, uh, we would go through the rough patch. I would forgive him. He would go to a meeting, you know, like the meetings that they have for people in recovery and that are trying to maintain sobriety. And he would go to the meetings for those particular things that he did that were bad. And then things would be great and smooth for a while. And then it would happen again. So, um, they commit these repetitive, reoccurring cyclical atrocities, betrayals in the relationship. So the more they do, the harder it is for you to be able to be what they need you to be. It's like, you don't piss where you eat or piss in the pool or there's some kind of saying that has something to do with that. Like you don't uh, do something bad where you sleep. Maybe that's how that goes. Um, But but they do. They are pissing in that pool of the home where they live with you. And so that at some point that pool is going to be so dirty and they're just going to be marinating in their own piss that they've put in that pool with you, that they're going to need to go to cleaner, more sparkling, fresh water somewhere else and jump in somebody else's pool. Ooh, yeah. Splash. Because your pool will have been dirty, not By any fault of your own, you can be over there trying to clean it and just frantically scrubbing and doing everything you can. It's not going to be enough. So the hurts, these hurts, injuries, they fester, and it's easy to feel numb, traumatized, resentful, or threatened, which can result in this subconscious pulling away while still feeling the power of the trauma bond. It's an addiction that stops you from leaving or even questioning their ability to be in the partnership at all. You can't do it. You, you can't, I think of those, I I saw these like spiders, snakes and bugs, different things like that come up and inject poison in their victim to paralyze them. (laughs) And every time I see that, I, I think, Oh my God, that's me. That's me. I am that paralyzed victim that's getting ready to be, wrapped up in something really awful and and I'm going to be slowly digested, uh, snacked upon, devoured, whatever you want to say, but I can't get away. I'm stuck in the web and I'm paralyzed uh, by this venom that has been imprinted and hooked into me in a way so that I am paralyzed and I cannot leave. So the space that develops over time, especially during devaluation, becomes a weapon used as the narcissist cast blame on you for your abysmal failure to be emotionally available and supportive to them. They blame you for it. That's called blame shifting and that they cannot take accountability, culpability, responsibility for anything that they ever do. That's wrong. You're not going to get an, I'm sorry, unless it's just really an insincere kind of fake, Thing because they're not genuinely sorry. They're not. They feel they have a right to do whatever they damn well please and that you're really crimping their style to expect them to do something that's not what they want to do. Uh, they feel contempt and hatred for you, towards you, for um, for not letting them do whatever they feel like doing and, and trying to be um, not abusive to you. So they blame you it becomes your fault and then you're so messed up in the head you start thinking maybe it is my fault did i do this am i crazy am i unreasonable should i have a problem with this this and that and even though you really should you really should have a problem with these things you start saying well maybe maybe i shouldn't maybe it maybe if i if i weren't emotionally so traumatized and uh, unavailable because i've been hurt by him if i could just show him more love and kindness and adoration and pet him more and give him more massages and more patting you know whatever then maybe he's uh going to um treat me better and be it's like which is first you know it's crazy it's crazy the sick kind of dynamic that starts to happen because they are the ones who commit these serial transgressions against you and Yet they make it your fault for not being all in as you retreat a few inches to lick your wounds and take care of yourself every time they do something to betray you. Their lies, manipulations, and infidelities pollute these waters. You cannot swim to the shore. You are helplessly bound to this narcissist version of Survivor Island, right? Isn't that what that show is called, Survivor Island? Uh, and the outcome of the game is predetermined right we already know the game is rigged we know who's going to win it's going to be that narcissist because he's the survivor he's the entitled one he's the one that has no morals has no concept of good and evil good and bad virtue and sin has no concept of emotional empathy remorse um none of it it's just deficient in all of those areas So he's always the supreme survivor. Of course he is. And you are simply collateral damage. Collateral damage. They believe that all of the ways you failed them gives them license to discard and destroy. You deserve it because you failed. The ending is always the same. You lose. You lose, guys. That's not a surprise. We know how this is going to end. It's going to end you lose. So over the years, the way that my husband who had narcissistic personality disorder has it um, responded to my illness or injury in different ways. But in the end, he played the role of the supportive partner because, you know, he tolerated these incapacitated moments, a broken foot. I had surgery with a six weeks recovery period at one point. In the first years of my our marriage, and various other like seasonal bugs, like the flu or whatever, you know, um, it didn't seem to be more than he could manage. He tolerated it okay, um, but as time passed, um, things changed, and I was devalued. And at that point, um, I needed something that, I needed something that was um, different something that um, at least seemed different to him that he couldn't provide. So um, so he grew strong and confident as he suckled off the teat of affluence, culture, academia, and comfort. These were things that I provided for him that he was uh, very much um, in search of, very hungry for. Um, he was starved for it. In fact, he never had it and it was all new and very attractive. I was that bitch dog that lays there quietly surrendering her body and soul and her other life sustaining sustenance as the ravenous pup latches on and pulls and pushes and, you know, it's not just cats that make the biscuits puppies do it too, to push on the teat to get the milk to come down. Um, so it was like he would push and pull and gulp down every last drop of nourishing life. that's a graphic metaphor. Um, and I want to say you could be a, a a male person and have a female narcissist, sociopath, psychopath person who is doing the crazy making. And you're going to have to come up with your own metaphor because the one about the bitch dog with the teat. And the ravenous pop and stuff—that's what I came up with for me. And I—I I don't know. I'm sure that there's one that works the other way, that doesn't involve the teats. But, um, but yeah, no. Uh, so, <laughs> for years he fed off of me this way, and he grew fat and powerful. And during those years, he protected me because he was getting something out of this, you know, that he needed. He supported me. He kept me going so that I could keep. Providing fuel and food for him. But eventually, my milk dried up to a trickle, and he realized that he didn't need it anymore. And then that's when the devaluation began, which is the second cycle in the narcissistic abuse cycle, um, where all this assistance he once offered just shriveled up and blew away in the wind. When I had an illness uh, or an injury or something, I got the minimum, and I learned how to manage on my own. I remember this one time I fell in in the garden and broke my wrist. He was standing in the kitchen making avocado toast, his favorite thing to make. And uh, it was in full view of the garden with these big kitchen windows that we had. And so he he saw it. And after the break um, and just sitting there on the ground with my head spinning and the nausea rising, I finally managed to get up and go inside. And I said, did you see what just happened? um i stood i was standing there holding out my arm and he said what see what um he didn't even look up from his toast i fell and i think my arm's broken i said i'm sure you're fine worst case it's sprained i I asked him did you see me fall he's like yeah I i saw it and i said well okay so why didn't you come if you saw that i needed help i was hurt took my breath away and it hurt so bad I was dizzy and I couldn't even get up. Did you see me just sitting there and wonder what I was doing on the ground? And he just said, I'm sure you're fine. Put some ice on it. I'm pretty sure I'm not fine, I said. I think I know what my body's telling me. I'm really hurt. And I just was talking to his back because he didn't even turn around. And clearly there had been a shift this devaluation phase was in full swing and it went on full force for a year maybe before his, and it really amped up the last four to five months it was really noticeable that there was something really not right. But before that it was a little bit more subtle, but it was there, you know, for a year, maybe even two before the departure. I mean, it was a 16 your relationship. It took a while, you know, to, to get through the different cycles, I guess. Um, but I wondered when he, when did he stop caring? Um, so things were progressing as usual. We had, you know, I thought we had survived some bumpy times, but we got through them. Um, I just, after all we had overcome all of it, I thought, well, you know, the deal breaker was when I told him that I might not be okay with my vision. I told him my ophthalmologist wanted to do a, a retinal test and, on my retina. And that I had. he knew I had trouble with night driving and night vision and that I, I couldn't see. And um, had some depth perception issues. But they did genetic testing and other testing. Found out that I did have a genetic retinal dystrophy um and i was explaining all of this to him and i really just think that that was a uh important part of his deciding to discard me he i think after that day the wheels started turning and he just couldn't see himself being a caretaker for some old blind woman he was younger than me anyway as long as i was off frisky and perky and plucky and i could keep up you know and And all that, it was okay, because I had something to give, you know, we were traveling the world and having a vigorous life. But when it looked like I might be limited, or disabled, actually, or something like that, it was like, uh, you know, eh, I'm not gonna, I don't think I'm I'm not up for that. the, this idea of this was too much for him. And I think that I wanted to share that because in all of the stories I've heard from all of the other people, it's the same. It's the same. They all start looking for their exit strategy and, they're, and they start looking for your replacement. As soon as they find out there's something that's wrong with you or they're going to be required to take care of you or something, it's just like, no, nope, not going to do it. Um. So in his in his mind, he was the good guy, always polite and helpful, and soft spoken and sweet, and just wonderful. You know these attractive, charming qualities. They don't matter when the going gets rough, because they get going. What kind of man just gives no warning and then just he never admits there's a problem? Doesn't say, "Hey, I'm not happy. I want to talk about that," or. Just anything, he avoids announcing his intentions and then just one day, poof, gone. That's not a good guy. That's not a normal guy. Um, Their perceptions of themselves is based on a false self that they create to insulate this um, childhood self that they have. And uh, that's not, uh, it's a damaged child, wounded child part of themselves and um, they did this to protect that that part of themselves and now uh, they may mirror you and make you think that they're the greatest partner in the world but they're not they're they're too perfect and too magical and love seems too intense if you're having all that then you better just stop and think Hmm, is this too good to be true maybe it is Maybe this is too good to be true. Maybe this is, there's something else going on here. Nothing is that magical, not in the real world. They have magical thinking that allows them to actually believe whatever they need to believe. And you can bet that you're going to end up holding the short end of the stick. So how does it end with the narcissist or the psychopath? Um, you might want to buy a policy for some home health care insurance coverage or find a close friend or relative who agrees to be your caretaker in case of a major illness. If you get COVID, God help you. Uh, you know, having a contingency plan could be a lifesaver. Hoping that they're going to do the right thing. You're just going to, I think that leads to disappointment and disaster. They are incapable of taking care of anyone else but themselves. Their brains are not wired for it. Their amygdala, their prefrontal cortex, cause parts of their brain to just not function and to function as a three-year-old or four-year-old, while other parts of their brain could develop quite normally or in some cases, other parts of their brain can develop exceptionally above average and they could be a genius in some way, or very talented in some way. My ex was a talented artist. he was really good. Um, he had other gifts, and he wasn't stupid. he had he was smart, but the parts of his brain that regulated his emotional uh self and all of that it's, they're broken in conclusion. You just need to remember one thing. We're going to end with this. Whatever they appear to be on the outside is not who they really are under that mask. And if you get sick or injured or or acquire a sudden disability, they're not going to be there to take care of you. You know, 99% of the time, they're not going to be there. They're not going to stick around and do it. They will leave and they're going to do it with such speed and ruthlessness that you will not know what hit you. None of us will be young and healthy forever. So the question is this, do you really want to have someone to be your life partner who will abandon you in your time of need? Isn't that really the question here? You really need to ask yourself that. I wish I had known. I learned the hard way. If you're being honest with yourself, if you're being honest with yourself, you know the answer. Keep looking for a deserving partner. Maybe they won't provide such intense connections and supernatural magic, but they will be sane and stable and capable of all the things that the narcissist will never be able to be. I know it's intense. I know it is a powerful, addictive, trauma-bonded thing that you have going on with your person. But people with personality disorders are dangerously deceptive. You may think that they're going to offer you the world when in reality all they have to offer is just this fantastic fantasy. It's like a trip to Disneyland. All the fun is going to come to an end and you're going to be left behind longing to return to the happiest place on earth and the most artificial. Ask yourself the questions, guys. Thanks for listening today. Uh, Please forward this to anyone you think could benefit from hearing about this. Anyone who needs to know that they need to get out, get a plan, do something to protect themselves. Um, There's very few exceptions to what I have just told you. So let's uh, think about that and let's go forward through the week and through the future, trying to be safe, staying healthy, staying alive, staying hopeful and getting to the other side of our healing I'm assuming if you're listening to this today, you're dealing with some kind of abusive relationship in some context. Um, Do what is best for you. If you have children, please do what is best for them. Okay. Be brave. Love you much. Bye-bye.